Bibles with me. We're going to read from Genesis 1. So we're going to do a two-part Christmas series this morning and this evening. Just asking, what is the God of Christmas like? Uh, why did he come? Who are we seeing? And what did he come to do? These kind of questions. And like any good story, you have to start at the beginning. And so we're going to read Genesis 1, and then tonight we'll be in 1 John 1. Genesis 1, it's on page 1. This is God's Word. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our, own, our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true and given in love. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you that you are a good father that who created a good world. And yet, even as we live in this world, it's no longer good. Uh, we know we need your help to see you and see what you're doing. And so as we study this, I pray you would send your spirit to pour out your love in our hearts, uh, to see your goodness and to see the goodness that will come when Jesus returns again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, like I started by saying, Christmas is a story. And like any good story, if you really want to understand Christmas, you've got to start at the beginning, because Christmas is the middle of the story. And so that's why we're here in Genesis, um, because you know how this works in any, any good story, right? You, some of you took English classes, and you know that you can't just read the end of the book 
and pass the exam. The story itself is just so much more moving when you see and get to better know the God who sent his son. And so that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning because the argument of Christmas, or I would say the wonder of Christmas, is, well, it's, it's, it's like we sing, this little Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, uh, begotten, not made. And that, that Jesus, that little child, is the very one through whom all things were made. And in those moments where he couldn't, you know, where he was crying, he was still containing the world together by the word of his power. So this is astounding. And so let's go back to the beginning. This is what I want to do this morning. It's just, just try and increase your joy, increase your wonder, and increase your longing for the goodness that will come at the end of all things. And so let's, we've got three points this morning. Uh, we're going to see that the God of Christmas created. There's an outline in your bulletin. Uh, the God of Christmas caroled the creation into being. And then we'll see that this, it is the God of Christmas who came. So let's look at it. This is familiar words, is it not? I mean, this is one of those places that you don't have to be in church you, at all. You've heard these words before, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, and just that statement, I would think, say in our culture, in our day and age, is, is probably one of the biggest objections to the Christmas story being true. Right, is if I'm going to believe that God came down as a baby, if I'm going to believe in this Christmas story that I need forgiveness, does that mean that I have to reject everything I learned in science class? Right? Because we hear in the beginning, God created, and in our day and age in the 21st century, you can't help but have these questions. What about evolution? What about science? How did God create the world? Did he do it in six days? Or was it, you know, how long were these days? Were they six million years each day? I mean, what, what's going on? Was it just a week? Or was it billions of years? And so our friends that were, want to see the beauty and goodness of Jesus say, well, how can anyone who went to college right, believe that this is just a literal week? And so we've got questions. And I can't answer them all now because I want to talk about Christmas. And so I'm going to give you a preview, and if you want to talk more about it, this is a long conversation. I mean, I'll, I'll take you out for coffee if you want to talk about it. But here's, here's a couple points for you to think about as, as we talk about this. In the beginning, God created everything that you need to do science well. Right? I mean, God created the world. And the world in which we live is the world in which we do science. And science is in the realm of doing observations and coming up with theories and telling you how this world works. And just because we believe that God created the world, it does not undo the fact that science is one of the ways that we can get to know the God of order. He is, as we call this general revelation, that God has revealed himself through creation and he has given us gifts and abilities to investigate, to cultivate, to have dominion, right? God's given us everything we need to do science well. All right. And I know it still leaves this huge question because we're going to ask how, and how old is the, the earth, and, and this is what scientists tell us. They look at what we have and they say, how is this made? And they go back further and further back and they get to this moment they call the Big Bang Theory. And no matter how you answer the how question, you still have this moment is, what happened and why did it happen before you could observe anything? 
How, how do you know? Right, and and this, is, this is what I want you to see as we talk about Christmas. The why question is so much more important than the how question because that is, that is the primary, primary focus of, of Genesis 1 is to tell you what, why God made it, who he is. The how is important. It's not, it's not, I'm not skipping it. But the why is important. This is why James Wood, a convinced atheist, says this is a haunting question. Why was the world made? He says, how in the world... Can this world be just the result of an accident, an accidental Big Bang? How could there be no design, no purpose? Can it be that every life, he says, beginning with my own, my husband's, my child, and spreading outward is just cosmically irre irrelevant? Right. So he rejects the God of creation, but he wakes up haunted and saying, what is it all about? He's saying, my explanation of the world which says that there was a meaningless beginning and there's going to be a meaningless ending, but somehow in the middle of all this, I feel like I have meaning. So how do I make sense of those two? And frankly, this is just how, how things work, right? I mean, tomorrow's Christmas. And most of you are going to be thinking more about first about the why before you come to the how. Right, kids, you're going to get that package. You're going to open it. Maybe it's this gift you've been longing for, your beanie boo-boo or whatever it is you're looking forward to, right? I just learned what that was this past week. <laughs> the first question you ask when you open it is, is more of, is yay, who is this from, not how is this made? I mean, I know there's future engineers out there, and maybe you do start taking apart. But, <laughs> but the joy of Christmas is about what the gift that's given and the, and the person who's behind the gift. Because the bigger question is why more than how. And that's the point, because Genesis wasn't written to answer our 21st century questions. Moses didn't have me in mind, um, although he did, kind of. <laughs> but he didn't have our conflicts in mind when, when he was writing this book. He was writing to introduce us to the God who created the world, but really he was writing to introduce God's people to the God who redeemed them. And that's our story. It's telling us why the world was made, and what this God is like. And if you're still wrestling with this, I mean, I just want to encourage you. There are good, smart, intelligent, Bible-believing Christians who believe that the world was created in six literal days. And there are smart, intelligent, Bible-believing Christians, PhD holding on both sides, if you want to put it that way, who say the days are metaphorical. And that's okay. In our denomination, we all have to say that God created everything in the space of six days by the word of his power from nothing. Right? But there's room for disagreement. We, we disagree on the how in our denomination, even in our presbytery. We just don't argue about it because we're at peace with it. Because everybody in general who's wrestled with this, I mean, this is St. Augustine from like... Three, three, 400 A.D., he said, how can anyone figure out and know for sure how long these days are? Even as he, one of the most prolific Christian authors, said, I, I think these days are metaphorical. And then you've got John Calvin in France, who says, I think they're literal. Whose team are you going to choose? <laughs> choose Jesus. God created the world through, through the word of his power. And if you're really wrestling, especially if you're outside the faith and trying to figure out, how, why am I here? The place to start is the place where you can observe. Start with the resurrection. 
Those questions, yeah, it's a hard question. Is Jesus alive? Yeah. Right? Paul says if Jesus is not alive, then we are a people who should be most pitied. But the, the resurrection, right, if it's not true, you still want to know the meaning question, but we, we're able to, to go to these eyewitnesses accounts. Uh, you're able to, to read the scriptures. You're able to at least investigate something that happened in this world that has people who, people who were there to observe it. You can't do that with creation. So I would counsel you to start with the resurrection before you get to, to creation. So here's the point, right? The why is more important than the how. And the message of Christmas is that the God of Christmas created all things. And that, that's, that's encouraging, right? That's encouraging because that means we have a satisfying answer to the existence of love, to the existence of joy, to the fact that there are beautiful things in the world. Um, right? I mean, there was a recent Big Bang Theory that illustrated this, the TV show, not the event. Right? It's science fiction. There's two scientists who are, are trying to casually date uh, with, with all of its benefits. And the one female scientist says, look, I don't believe in love. Right? They don't believe in God at all. I don't believe in love. It's just a bunch, a biochemical reaction that fades with time, so let's just enjoy what we have for as long as it lasts. And this guy, the other scientist, who also doesn't believe in God, says, you don't believe in love? That's outrageous. Love is what inspires poetry and music and keeps the bachelor line for 21 magical seasons. <laughs> right? but, it, but he's arguing and saying, look, if all we are or just accidental collisions of atoms, you're going to have an awful hard time trying to make sense of the relationships you're going to celebrate this, this upcoming week. Because the why is so much more important than the how. Because it, it's relational. Now, let's look at it. Now that I said the why is more important than the how, I'm going to start with the how and move to the why. Right, the God of Christmas caroled. All right. Like any work of art, it tells you about the artist. When we come to Genesis 1 and it says, in the beginning God created, it's telling you about our creator. And especially about the, the way he made the world. The little bit that we know. That he made all things out of nothing by the word of his power. And Genesis 1, I think, is, a, is telling us that God caroled the world into existence. That it's historical poetry. It's this Ordered, repetition, structured. This is the way the Hebrews um, told stories. Is they, they said, well, this is a poem. It's poetry describing how, where we came from. And when you look at it, there's repetition. You have morning and evening the first day. The second day, you have this repetition of, of it's good, it's good, it's good. And then it culminates in the hallelujah chorus of it's very good after we are made. Right? It's... This is a poem, I think. This is a song. And I know if you are a literal person, you might be freaking out right now, but I, I want to encourage you as a literal person to read this literarily, if I can say that. <laughs> because in the Bible, just because there's poetry, it doesn't mean it's not historical as well. Go to Exodus 14 and 15. God saved his people from the, the Egyptians. The historical event is in chapter 14, but everyone bursts into song in chapter 15 telling you about the event. And the, the poem 
telling the history doesn't make what happened anything less historical. Right? It's just celebrating it. You get that in Judges 4 and 5. Deborah's song. This great battle, God saves them through Deborah, and everyone in chapter 5 starts singing and celebrating how God redeemed them. Right. And that's the point. Right? A poetic telling doesn't un- abolish the history. What it does is celebrate it. It calls you and draws you into the joy of what God is doing. Because right? if you look at this, and I'm just going to paint a picture for you and hope you can see what I, what I see, and, and, then, and just, just see how good creation is and how God, by telling us this through a poem, a structured poem, not, I mean, it's not our poetry. It's not our style of poetry at all. But it's God's way of saying, look at how good the world was. It gives us a glimpse then into the joy of our Creator. So you look at this. Throughout the scriptures, we get some glimpses of what happened. Job 38, 7. God asked Job, where were you when the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. And so you have this glimpse into what happened. The stars started singing. The angels were were exploding in joy. They're praising their creator. The angels were rejoicing thunderously so at God's creativity. You got Psalm 96 that says, sing a new song. Well, what song was the first song? I think it's this song. And it tells the trees to rejoice, the fields to rejoice, the sea to make a joyful noise again as if they'd done it before. And so you start to get some of these pieces together. As you read Genesis 1, you have God making all things together by the word of his power joyfully and bringing nature first into his choir. I mean, we sing it at Christmas, let heaven and nature sing, joy to the world, rejoice in her king. That's what's happening at creation. And this is incredible. We're gonna look at, we'll go through the days here in a minute, but some of my favorite songs are those that start with one layer and just slowly add another to the chorus, right? And so I remember being at a concert, this is a group called The Myriad, and one, there was this song where they started with just the guitar and they started adding layers. And in the background, as they keep in this beat, is these giant kettle drums, the timpani. And at the climax, right, drawing you in, well, um, one of the, the guitarists quick threw his guitar behind his shoulder and started walking over to the kettle drums just as the drummer pulled out a spare set of mallets and they did this cool flip and catch thing. And then they're both just beating on these drums as, as, as hard and as loud as they can. And I still remember the goosebumps, right, as it's drawing you into the joy. And I think that's what's happening at creation. God says, let there be light. And he says it was good. And that's day one. And then he starts adding another layer. He, He sets out the sky like a tent. That's the metaphorical language. He's, he's creating an atmosphere. He's making it possible for life to live. He's getting ready for the, the choir to sing. He's setting the stage, so to speak. And then in day three, you have the dry land and the seas appear. All right? And then along comes the choir. And you notice that days one, two, and three, there's structure here. That f- Day one and four correlate. Day two and five work together in day three and day six. Is, you know, day, day four, God fills uh, what he made on day one with the stars, the sun, and the moon. And they start, start singing. 
And then he adds in another layer on day five as he, he creates the birds. And the, uh, the birds start singing and he fills the seas with fish and they join the choir and they start rejoicing and glorifying their creator. And then on day six, he fills the land, the animals. And then the culmination of this whole thing on the loudest day, so to speak, when God says everything was very good. When God makes man in his image to join the carol, really to be the, the leader on earth of the song. And it's almost like it just builds and builds and builds, and there's this giant exhale that says, it was very good, and God stops, and he rests on the seventh day. So you see what I mean? God caroled the world into existence. And that's why C.S. Lewis, when he wrote The Magician's Nephew to Tell the Creation Story, he tells it like, like Aslan, the God figure, sang the world into existence. I mean, I have that quote in your, in your outline. Where the, the guy listening and witnessing the creation says, it sound, a voice began to sing. It was very far, and Diggory found it hard to decide what direction it was coming. And sometimes it sounded like the direction was coming from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly a tune, but it was beyond comparison. It was the most beautiful sound he'd ever heard. It was a God joyfully creating, singing the world into existence. Now here's what it teaches you and I. Right, one, I hope you see that it tells you that creation is a good thing. Everything you're going to enjoy in general, right, the world in which we live, there's, there's still a goodness to it. Because right, the picture that Genesis 1 paints for you is God joyfully building a home for you and I, for him to come dwell with us in a good world, with food, uh, with friends, with family, uh, with bodily pleasure, with work, with purpose, with meaning. He said it was good over and over again, so you can't miss the message. <laughs> All right. And frankly, there is no creation story like this that, that is both holding out a picture of how good the world is and holding up how good we were intended to be um, without saying you were intended to be used and abused by this God. Because right? the world is it's incredibly earthy. Every good plant, every plant is meant for food. Right? You have this picture of God rejoicing in the good things. The mundane things, his hands are in the dirt. Right? Why? God enjoys creation. He enjoys the act of creating because he's a good host. He's a good, um, he shows good hospitality. And so creation is good, and I just want to encourage you to enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy the holidays as you sit and have a meal with friends and with family. Um, it, it's not a sin to, uh, to eat a good meal. And that's why I love that's why I love what Robert Capon says as he reflects on the goodness of creation, the doctrine of creation. He just says, look, look at a glass of wine or any real thing because it makes you wonder why there are so many good things in this world today. Right? Because something that could not beat at all without God, it seems like creation's doing fine without him. God kind of hides in the background. 
But the reality is nature is somewhat of a mystery. Autumn shows up every year. We have snow every year. And you have wine built on a, made on a thousand hills. And you have this fermentation process. It just happens. Why does it still happen? And he says, look, take this truth first. God makes wine. It's a gift. As the psalmist said, it's meant to gladden the heart. All right, and he says, for all its difficulties, there's no way around the doctrine of creation. But notice the tense that God is making. He's in the process of making. He did not create once and then just say, oh no, I made a bad decision and then just walk away from it. All right? It's saying that if God wanted us to cease to exist, he, would, he wouldn't have to do something. He would just have to stop doing something. Stop holding everything together. And so this is what it means. He says, in a general way, we can see that God made the world out of joy. He didn't need it. God didn't need us. He wanted us. He just thought it was a good thing. But if you confine his activity and creation to the beginning only, you lose most of the joy and everything that follows. You say, sure, it was good back then, but now we just eat the leftovers. But how much better of a world is it when you see that God is continually creating and sustaining the world? Just as, much as the bringing, just as much joy as creation coming, being the new made out of nothing. See, each thing at every moment becomes a delight in God's hand, the apple of his eye, and the bloom of yeast lies upon grape skins year after year. See, fermentation, he gives the formula that I'm not going to read, is <laughs> a dependable process, simply because God says that was nice every September, let's do it again. <laughs> See, the doctrine of creation, he's very poetic and it's hard to read out loud. It's just trying to get you to see that in the beginning, everything was so good that God set up a world where he would be intimately involved in the, the sustaining and creating of all things continually so that we would enjoy his good gifts continually. So autumn, snow, a good meal, just you and I waking up in the morning should be filled with all kinds of joy and meeting and happiness because he is the giver of every good gift. He's, it's not necessary, but he does it anyway because he loves us. It's that repetition, morning and evening, it was good. Morning and evening, it was good. He rejoices in the mundane even as we in our sin get mad at it as we have a case of the Mondays all week long. <laughs> But at the same time as you enjoy creation, it's also saying, don't you dare live for it. Because there is a God who's above it, who is the giver of every good gift. They are good things, but they're not the main singers in the choir. They're the gifts. Creation is good, because our Creator is good. And even for us, we weren't even made to be exploited. I mean, you read these old creation stories about gods who were born out of violence, they didn't get along. Right? People were just kind of born out of stomachs split open and all these weird things. And many times they were just made so that the human beings would serve the gods at the gods' leisure. Right? That <laughs> and this picture is God coming down, even at creation, to serve mankind simply because he wants to. And that's good news. I mean, what kind of God is this? whose joy overflows in song that creates the world to dwell with people like us. It's telling you that our, our creator is good as well. 
So we have a God who speaks, we have a God who sings, we have a God who gives good gifts, and here's, here's the final point here. The God of Christmas caroled, but he also came at Christmas. It doesn't take much imagination to know that the world that we just described is not our world. It's, it's almost, I mean, you can almost, I could feel it as I was writing it, you know, this longing for Eden. I want to be back there. I want to be what, and hear what Adam and Eve heard. But it's telling you about, this passage is telling you about the God who is and the God who came. All right, why is this so moving? Why does it call us in? And the few hints we have are here. Look at Genesis 1 to 3, verses 1 to 3. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, of the earth. You have this picture. of You have God there, the Father, who speaks. But we also have the picture of the Holy Spirit, who's hovering like a bird over the waters. And it's this personal, loving term of, well, it's a mother bird, right? A mother protecting her young. Or the way an eagle, what is she's teaching her young to fly, would, would catch them on her wings. Right? It's, it's personifying the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a person who was there at creation to be, the, to, to be the love connection, so to speak, the personal love connection between God and his creation. See, the Father's personal, he speaks. The Holy Spirit is personal. It's the personification of love. And then you hear this weird thing that says, let God, let us, God says, let us make man in our image. And you've got to ask, who in the world is God talking to? Right? People aren't made yet. You only communicate to other people. And some people would say it was the angels, but, but the angels don't create. So who is God talking to? And it doesn't become clear until Christmas. When the Apostle John with the, the bombshell says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. He became human and dwelt among us. And so you see, the reason the world could be sung into existence is because when God spoke, it was a person. It was Christ. And that's why you see that the world is unnecessary because God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit already had this beautiful relationship of love and it just overflowed in, into this world. He made us because He wanted us to share in His joy. That's what Jesus prayed. I want you to share in my joy, the joy that I had before the foundation of the world. All right, so you have this wonderful picture that the God who came at Christmas is the God who did not need us. And even as we ran away, he had no need. There was nothing obligating him to continue to serve us. And yet he came anyway. Right? See, the God of Christmas created you and I to bring us into his loving, joyful presence so that heaven might dwell with earth, to enjoy together with him all of his good gifts. And creation was just setting the stage for redemption for this new creation where it could all be possible. Right? I mean, think about it. Why do you call something good? Right? Yeah, it's, we're not just... Um, you finish a job and say, that was a good job. Or why do you call your kids good? 
right, or a good movie or a good song, right, you start to praise it, it starts to draw you in. See, when, when you say something is good as God did at creation, there's adoration, there's wonder, there's joy, there's just a satisfaction at the good thing God made. He's enjoying it. Now, do you feel like God enjoys this world and you at this point? I mean, I don't, outside of Christ. Because in many ways, as we hear the song sung, it feels like we've been evicted from it. We cast out from the song of joy. We get glimpses, of course, in, in, in relationships and in music. We have really good, joyful experiences. But often when you try and get closer and closer, it just fades, and it's like joy itself is running away. It's like running into a locked door or chasing at the wind. And it doesn't sound like creation is singing anymore. And I read this this past week. George Whitfield would say, why do you think animals are so mad at you? You've ruined everything. That's why dogs growl at you. And that's Isaiah 1. The donkey knows its master. He's glorifying God better than and then we are. We've been evicted. And so this is the good news of Christmas. We need another song to be sung, and we need it to be led by somebody other than us because we've run away. We've, we've, we've left the Creator for His created things, and we're mad at Him for not giving us the joy that's only found in Him. All right, and so this other creation is Jesus, the Word, who enters into, the, into our world to sing the same song we are, a song of suffering. And you remember when Jesus started his ministry? This is astounding. Right? You have Jesus at his baptism. God the Father speaks a good word. This is my son who is good, very good, who I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down like a mother bird, hovering over him, making him... Full, well aware of how loved he is in the Father. See, it's a new creation. And God says, watch this. As Jesus then lives the perfect life, clearly hearing a different song than everyone else, the song of his Father, even as he suffers. And then we see him going to, cross, to the cross. And this is the invitation of Christmas, because you know when Jesus, he has that song of joy at his baptism, he doesn't hear that at his death. Right. I mean, you look at Jesus at the cross, it's dark. It's the song of uncreation, and everything is without form and void. I mean, it's like he's being uncreated as he's lost the delight of his Father. There's no pleasing words from God the Father. There's no hovering presence of the Holy Spirit in some, way, in some way where he just says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason Jesus did that, he sang the song of suffering completely alone so that you and I could sing the song of creation once again to be brought in to this joy so that you could have God say to you by faith in Christ, You're very good. Even though you know you're on Santa's, you're on not Santa, God, God's naughty list. Right. See, and that's what happens. And as soon as you get on God's good list in Christ, so to speak, you, you have the benediction that follows you all the days of your life that gets you to sing, where God says, I love you, I've forgiven you, and now part of my work of creation is, not, is to bring people from all, all nations, all tribes, all tongues to be a different voice in my choir to join with the angels, to join with the stars, to join with the mountains, 
And as he told long ago, right, mountains, watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to have compassion on my afflicted, beaten down, worn out people. And then he sent Christ. That day has come. And this is the God of Christmas. <laughs> he created, he caroled, and he came. I pray that would deepen your joy. Because now as you go through this suffering, you get to sing a song completely different. You might say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But because of Christ, you have the singer of that joy side by side, and you're not truly alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, just this explosion of joy that you used to call us into yourself. And we thank you for Jesus who came uh, to suffer so that we, well, as we sing, he was born so that no more may man die. And so I pray that the, the joy of the new creation would draw us in as well and lead us to repentance as we lean more deeply on this child. He was born to forgive us and born to and live and die so that we might hear your good word. So may that change us in, in Jesus' name. Amen.